I'm so excited to see Chris and Kurt standing up here. Chris and Kurt are associate pastors here at Hillcrest. Associate Kurt is uh, Kurt, associate pastor of uh, worship arts, and then also uh, Chris with student ministries. Um, I call them associate pastors because they they can do anything. They can do anything. <laughs> in fact, anything I can do, they can do better. But I'm older, so they let me be in charge. <laughs> so it's nice. So if you uh, weren't here last week, I'm going to do a bit of a review because we started a, a big series for the fall called Holy and Whole. And um, I wouldn't want you to miss out just because you weren't here last week. So let me do a little bit of a, a review, beginning with our church's mission statement. So can we, we'll just pull that up here, our church's mission statement. Hillcrest mission statement says, we strive to see all people reconciled to God and mature in Christ. We strive to see all people reconciled to God and mature in Christ. So we believe that people are meant to be in a right relationship with Jesus and then to become like Jesus in their character and their emotional maturity, to become mature, to become like, to be, become like Jesus. It sounds really simple, except for you run into the reality. I think we all, if you've been following Jesus for a while, you might have run into the reality just like I have, that sometimes, even though we've identified as followers of Jesus, we have been reconciled and brought into right relationship with Christ through his death on the cross and his sacrifice for us and his forgiveness and his leadership. Um, we don't always seem to grow into the emotional maturity, and we don't always notice our character becoming more and more like Jesus. In fact, there's often stubborn, unchanging elements of emotional immaturity that exist or simple, ha simple habits that seem to remain unaffected. And we're maybe puzzled why. But this sort of brings us into the premise for this Holy and Whole series. We've said that spiritual maturity and emotional health are inseparable. That when God transforms a person, he wants to transform the whole person. He wants to transform us in our area of spiritual maturity and in our emotional, area of emotional health. We need both. They're meant to go hand in hand. And last week we looked at the example of the difference between King Saul, the first king of Israel, and King David, king number two, the second king of Israel. Both of them were humble farm kids who uh, the prophet Samuel, at different points, had anointed to become king. And both of them went on to do incredibly evil things out of very impure motivations. But they didn't both end the same way. Their stories don't end the same way. And in fact, the Bible doesn't record their stories with the, in the same light. And the difference is, the, the, the Bible tells us the difference is that David was a man after God's own heart whereas Saul wasn't. See, when Saul made wrong decisions, he got defensive. He blamed others. He refused to confess his sins. There was occasional times where he did sort of turn, but that was momentarily. Even when everyone around him could see that he was an insecure, emotionally unhealthy individual, Saul resisted becoming emotionally whole. It didn't seem like Saul did much contemplation of his heart's condition, and he didn't pursue a better relationship with God. Last week, we talked about three bad places that we tend to draw our identity from. I think we can get those up on the screen. Three false sources of identity. And they're bad sources of identity because they're easily threatened. And they make us insecure. Because any of these can be taken away from you. 
but boy do we have a temptation to put our identity here. So I am what I do. Performance. Right? I am what I own. Possessions. I am what others think of me. Popularity. All of these are so threatenable. They all can be taken away. And I think King Saul, like us, was greatly tempted to put his, all his chips on the wrong side of the table, to bet on these sources of identity. And again, all these things can be taken away from you. So instead of finding his identity in something that can never be taken away, which was his relationship with God, right? For a Christian, it's being a child of God. Instead of putting our, having our identity formed out of that reality, that unchangeable, unthreatenable reality, we often are, are tempted to put our, 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 um, our form, our identity out of these things. Not that doing things, owning things, and, and having others think well of you is bad. It's just that that can change, and it can change really fast. And if you... You have to hang on to that. See, see, Saul, once he became king, remember, he was a shy guy, tall guy, but a shy guy, and didn't want, he wasn't clamoring to become king, and when he became king, he was sort of like a little bit resistant initially, but then he warmed up to it way too much. In fact, it became the, the source of his identity. Once he was king, keeping his kingdom replaced God in his life. It became like God to him. He was more dependent on keeping his kingdom than he was on keeping a relationship with the one who gave him the kingdom in the first place. And that's a temptation for all of us because God sometimes gives good gifts and then suddenly the gift can shine a little bit more brighter in our eyes than God himself. And uh, things get really twisted after that. Saul wasn't a man after God's own heart. He was a man desperately trying to find significance in holding on to his positions, his power, his possessions, and his popularity. David, on the other hand, as a man after God's own heart, went to great lengths to confess his sin, to humble himself before God when he sinned. He didn't want anything to keep him at a distance from God. On top of that, he was able to experience the full range of his emotions. You can see that... The book of Psalms in the Bible, a lot of that's written by David. You see that in the songs that he wrote. He writes these, these praise songs that are full of uh, all the emotions you could possibly imagine. You see him being angry. You see him being envious. You see him in turmoil. You see him sort of coming to accept reality. You see him grieving. You see him uh, rejoicing in God. And often you see a lot of those emotions in the same psalm. Starts out mad. Ends up Surrendering to God. You often see that in Psalms. Some Psalms don't even get him all the way there. He only gets half the way there. But he was not disconnected from what was going on inside of his heart. David was anything but perfect. But David didn't avoid his sin or his emotions. He confessed his sins, he faced the troubled emotions, and he kept coming back to God again and again because he knew he needed God more than anything else. So where Saul is rarely repented of his sins and didn't pay attention to the warning signs uh, that everyone else could see, David um, kept confessing his sins, dealing with the issues of his heart, and uh, that drove him back to God, and it resulted in passionate praise. Now, this is, again, from last week. Remember I told you there's a progression in our lives. There's meant to be a progression of maturity. And so this is sort of the beginning place where you're like all about getting approval from people, right? I need praise. That's where we start. 
right? What do you think of me? What, what do you think of me? What do you think of me? That, that's where we are here. That's a very insecure place to be. I need praise. And then we encounter Jesus. And when we encounter Jesus, what happens is we suddenly encounter a source of love that isn't uh, so fickle, right? How can I get praise from people here? Well, if I'm good enough, smart enough, well-dressed enough, rich enough, funny enough, I don't know. But there's going to be some conditions on the love that I'm seeking here, the approval that I need. But here we, and, and even people who really are quite godly people and holy people, they won't give you, they can't give you as pure a love as God can, even though they can be conduits for God love. It's still, you know, it's not as pure as you can get. But God himself offers us pure, unconditional love where he says, I love you, and I know everything about you. In fact, I know the stuff about you you don't even know yet. The darkness that will emerge, it will surface later. And when you discover it, you'll be really discouraged. I already know that, and I love you. And when that surfaces, I will not, I'll, I, in my timing, I'll choose to reveal that to you, but I'll also help you deal with that. I really love you. And so this changes the game for us. This changes the game. We can go from, man, I need approval. I need people's love. And then, then so what do people think of me? Then we go to this place where it's like, well, what does God think of me? What are his thoughts towards me? So, so it goes from all about me to all about me and God. And then there's one more amazing step of self-forgetfulness where you say, it's about, it's about him, right? Way back there, you need praise. Here you need to give praise. It's like, uh, yeah, let me just, it, it, from needing the praise of man to, to needing to praise God, from a heart for yourself to a heart for God, from hiding your sin and emotional wounds to confessing your sins and becoming emotionally whole. Um, so we need to confess our sins. We need to become emotionally whole. Um, it's a little bit like going to the Grand Canyon. I went to the Grand Canyon a couple years ago. And I stood at the side of it and saw that wide expanse of the Grand Canyon. Amazing thing. You know what? You know what you don't do at the Grand Canyon? That you might do almost everywhere else in the world, but you don't do at the Grand Canyon, is you don't ask, is there something between my teeth? You don't ask that at the Grand Canyon. You don't say, do my pants match my shirt? You don't ask that at the Grand Canyon. You never turn to the tourist beside you and say, hey, how do I look? Why? Because what you and the guy beside you are doing is saying, wow. 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 You might turn to the guy and go, wow. But you won't turn to him and say, do I look, you know, how am I, you know, what, what, how am I doing? No. Wow. Wow. It's incredible. If you go to the Grand Canyon and you bring your hand mirror, you have missed the point of the trip. And that's how it is in our relationship with God. We start out with the hand mirror. How am I doing? How am I doing? How am I doing? We, uncover, we discover this love relationship with God that we can have, and we're like, whoa, it's, it's pure love like I've never tasted before. It really is amazing, the, the acceptance he has for me, uh, the, the, the lengths that he went to win me to himself, to reconcile me to him. And then we get to this point where it's just, wow. I'm not even thinking about me and God. I'm just thinking about God. It's not even what does God think of me. It's what do I think of God. How amazing he is. And there's this beautiful self-forgetfulness that begins to enter into that relationship. 
It's wonderful, 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 wonderful thing. And that's the journey that we're on. That's the journey that we're on. And sometimes we have glimpses of it, and we come back here, and sometimes we slide back here. But we're, this is the tra- trajectory that God wants to take each one of us on. So we've said we need to do two things. Confess our sins so we come, become spiritually mature and become emotionally whole. We, we want to allow God to heal our emotional wounds, right? That's the emotional whole po- part, and address any emotional immaturity that's in us. But we also need to uh, confess our sins. Now, why don't we do that? Why is that a challenge for us? I had coffee with Brian Heaney. Um, If I say anything intelligent in my sermon, it's because I talked to Brian Heaney. And if I say something dumb, that's my own material. Okay? But I had coffee with Brian Brian Heaney, and and, uh, I wrote lots of notes. You know, I'm just sitting here just like typing, typing, typing as he's talking. It's amazing. But the one thing I just share that he, he passed on, he says... He sees, as his, in his role as a Christian counselor in the community of Moose Jaw, he says he sees that we suffer from a lack of introspection. We don't actually contemplate our lives very much. I think it's actually on the huge decline, right? We're pretty much digitally babysat, even as adults now, so we almost never have time to really self-reflect. So we suffer from a lack of introspection, and he said especially biblical introspection, and then he went on to say, biblical introspection, um, it doesn't mean like self-protecting or hiding what's inside. Because if you invite God to inspect your heart, like David did in his life, right, you're not going to see anything that the Lord doesn't already know. And, and no matter what you find, he still loves you. That's the incredible reality. And this is, this is Brian's words. Christ is so radically committed to us that we can face anything that might be concealed in our hearts. Christ is so radically committed to us that we can face anything that might be concealed in our hearts. And so that, that is so encouraging. I just thought, yeah, it's just amazing. His commitment to us, it, it opens up a whole new world for transformation inside of our lives because of his radical commitment to us. Now, we've chosen a really encouraging theme verse because we know this series might be daunting for all of us. So we've chosen a really encouraging theme verse for this series, and uh, let me share it with you right now. It's 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 to 24. So what I'm going to get you to do, uh, last week we used that as our benediction, but I'm going to get you guys, uh, if you're on this half of the room, I want you just to speak this great word of encouragement over the other half of the room. So we'll cut right down the middle. Hey, Josh, I played soccer against him on Friday. We couldn't score on him. I was very mad at the end. My emotional immaturity just rose up, and I had to deal and confess with my sins. Anyhow, Josh and this side are going to speak really encouraging things. Sorry for pointing you out. Are going to speak this really encouraging scripture over the other side, and then we'll flip it back, okay? So you guys get to bless, and then you guys get to bless, okay? So let's start and just read this, and you guys receive it, okay? They're going to encourage you with this word, okay? Oh, wait, 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 wait. I realize we got it up in the NIV. I wanted the message. Oh, it's still good. We'll read it this way, and next week we'll go back to the message. Okay, let's go for it. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right. He wants to sanctify you through and through. He wants to work all the way through, right? Is that encouraging to you? Okay, let's encourage the other side. And I just, 
just to know that you're not alone in this. These guys are just going to speak over you, okay? You guys, go ahead. God himself, the one of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Now, the reason I like it out of the message translation, because in the message translation it says, may the God who is holy and whole make you holy and whole, which is our theme uh, line from the scripture. But it's the, it's the idea is that the God who calls you to be transformed is completely dependable. And he will actually guide you through the process of your transformation so you can be encouraged. So today, that's a wow, what a long introduction. Let me jump right into what we're going to talk about today. I want to talk about, and every week we're going to talk about a word that describes this transformed people that God is calling us to be. And the word I want to use today is the word armed. Armed. Right? I think God wants us to be armed. Ephesians 6, 11 to 12 says this, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. So we are in a spiritual war. And that battle rages inside of us and inside of everyone. And we're called to take our stand against the schemes and strategies that are formed against us. And John 10.10 is really helpful because it tells us the two possible outcomes of this struggle. Okay, so let's look at John 10.10. Okay, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's one of the outcomes that can happen of this struggle. I have come, this is Jesus speaking, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So there's two outcomes from the spiritual war that's going on, raging inside of you and inside of me. Being stolen from, being killed, being destroyed, or having life and having it to the full. Those are the two outcomes. And they're the two strategies and they're the two goals of the two warring factions. The ones who war over your life. How many know someone who's experienced a much fuller life because of God's work in their life? You say, I know someone who has experienced a much fuller life, like the scripture decide, describes, because of God's work in their life. Just say, yeah. You can include yourself if that's happened to you. Okay. How many of you have, have maybe, maybe you know someone, and you can include yourself too, who's had things stolen from them, killed in them, or destroyed in them because of spiritual? How many of you say that? I've seen that. I've witnessed that. I'm aware of that. I've, ex I've gone through a season of that. I I'm not so naive to think that some of you might be in that season right now. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I would always, it was great having Chris up here talking about his heart for youth ministry. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I, kids would come to youth group, but I'd always try to have one question to ask them. Hey, what was the best part of your week? I'd always try to be positive, stuff like that. I encountered in my readings and learnings a youth pastor who asked a very different question, probably more gutsy youth pastor, and uh, they, she would ask, how's the enemy been kicking your head in this week? <laughs> it seems too abrupt. It seems too harsh. I never used it. But once I heard it, I never forgot it. There's a spiritual battle going on, and some people are really experiencing being stolen from, things being killed inside of them, and there's destruction happening in their lives. 
I never forgot that one line. How is the enemy kicking your head in this week? What's the scheme he's got against you? What's the strategy? Where's that area where he's bringing accusation and discouragement, where he's driving a wedge between you and God with shame? Where he's isolating you so he can pick you off. What? Because we're called to battle. We're called to be armed. We're called to oppose those schemes. We're called to oppose those strategies in our lives. Uh, Pastor Kurt, our worship pastor, he had a, we were talking about this, this steal, kill, destroy. And he says it's just simpler to call them SKDs. Steal, kill, destroy. So you can say, hey, what happened to that guy? Uh, he's been getting SKD'd a lot lately. Really? Why doesn't he fight back? Well, have you ever been SKD'd? It's, it's tough. You often don't think about fighting back when you're being SKD'd. Even though you totally can. So I want to talk about a couple of key weapons for fighting the spiritual battle. These are weapons that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've been reconciled to Christ, you have these at your disposal. My biggest probably piece of advice I could possibly offer you is that if you're ever going to fight an, an opponent that you want to stack the odds in your favor. So the first thing I want to say is, make sure you make it a, a tag team battle, right? I don't know if any of you grew up watching wrestling. I, I think it's, pretty t- it's too vile now to watch, but when I was a kid, I watched lots of wrestling. And there was always that moment where the great hero had been, uh, you know, had salt in his eyes and the chair on his back, and he was down on the floor. But then some other great, you know, it was always Hulk Hogan was down. I don't know why Hulk Hogan was always down. Man. He just, he just was sort of too dumb to see it coming, right? But then someone would come. You know, the Macho Man would come, or Jimmy Superfly Snuka would show up. Some guy, there's only about 10 of you who know what I'm talking about. And it, some guy would come into the ring and save the day. And it was his tag team partner. Oh, for tag team partners, such a great thing. When the enemy is curb stomping you in the ring, here comes your tag team partner. So the best advice I can say is make it a tag team battle. Let me read James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. See, we are meant to be aligned with God and link arms with fellow believers. And it unlocks two really powerful weapons. Okay? When you tag team with somebody else, it unlocks two powerful weapons. One is confessing your sins one to another. Confess your sins one to another almost not practiced anymore by Christians. Why are we losing battles? We aren't obeying what the Bible says. We're not using the weapon that God has given us, and that is linking arms with another believer and confessing your sins to one another. Say, well, I can just confess my, 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 my sins to God. Yeah, you can, actually. You can. But here's one of the things. A lot of us don't do that It becomes sort of our out for not confessing to one another, but then we don't do the other. We don't do either, right? And some of the reasons why we don't confess that thing to another person is because we can't, it comes back to where we're standing over here, we can't believe that someone would still love us if they knew what we struggled with. It's a portion of our emotional insecurity. And yes, people can be fickle, but people who are growing in this grace of God 
are growing out of that. Man, I didn't include it in my notes. Now I'll have to find it on my, on my phone. But I've been reading a lot of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you've read The Pastor's Heart, how many of you get The Pastor's Heart email? Just to see. Yeah, I won't ask how many read it because I'm very insecure. <laughs> I know a few of you do. Anyhow, I'm going to see if I can find this real quick. But I was, yeah, I was reading Dietrich Bonhoeffer, lots of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, because he's, he's got a lot of really great stuff on this together, this fighting together, this uh, uh, confession together. And uh, here we go. Let me read you a couple of his quotes. He's writing about this verse we just read. Confess your sins to one another, James 5.16. Those who remain alone with their evil are left utterly alone. It's possible that Christians may re remain lonely in spite of daily worship together, prayer together, and all their community through service. That the final breakthrough to community does not occur precisely because they enjoy community with one another as pious believers, but not with one another as those lacking piety or holiness as sinners. So they enjoy community with others as pious believers, but not as regular sinners. For the pious community per permits no one to be a sinner. Hence, all have to conceal their sins from themselves and from the community. We are not allowed to be sinners in such a community. Many Christians would be unimaginably horrified if a real sinner were to suddenly turn up among the pious. That's crazy because we are all real sinners. So we remain alone with our sin, trapped in lies and hypocrisy, for we are in fact sinners. However, the grace of the gospel, which is so hard for the pious to comprehend, confronts us with the truth. It says to us, you are a sinner, a great unholy sinner. Now come as the sinner that you are to your God who loves you. For God wants you as you are, not desiring anything from you, not a sacrifice or a good deed, but rather desiring you alone. Proverbs 23, 26, my child, give me your heart. God has come to you to make the sinner blessed. Rejoice. This message is liberation through truth. You cannot hide from God. The mask you wear in the presence of other people won't get you anywhere in the presence of God. God wants to see you as you are, wants to be gracious to you. You do not have to go on lying to yourself and to other Christians as though you were without sin. You are allowed to be a sinner. And thank God for that. You know, earlier we were singing this song. And um, uh, I will rise, that song. Um, no power can stand against you. No curse assaults your throne. And then it gets to that one line that hits me every time for I was dead in my sin that is the one that hits me like a like you know someone put a brick in the boxing glove it hits me so hard every time I hear it but it didn't used to mean as much to me and by the grace of God it will mean more to me in the future if I allow God to keep working out the implications the reality of his gospel in my life I've said this before, but we don't praise as much as we would because we haven't allowed God to transform us. We don't live with the same level of gratitude as we could. We 
because we haven't fully reckoned with the reality of what he's done for us. And part of it is getting in touch with the fact that we're a sinner, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. You want to, you want to, be, you want to experience the gratefulness, the praise, the worship, the self-forgetfulness that will just fly out of you? Well, you gotta, it starts with realizing you were dead in your sins. Unable to save yourself. I was dead in my sins. I was unable to save myself. I was on a trajectory that was not good. Lots of SKD down that path. And he saved me. And now as I'm journeying with him, he is in his gracious time revealing dark corners of my heart, sort of like unfolding them bit by bit and saying, Steve, now's the timing for you to face this. But you aren't facing this alone. I'll I'll face it with you. I'll walk you through it. I'm good and I'm kind and I'm gracious and compassionate. And I'll walk you through. You don't clean yourself up before you come to God. You allow him to do the cleaning in his timing, in his order. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. That's the first weapon. But the other one is praying for one another. So confessing your sin to another person, but then praying for each other is the other weapon. So it says, so you'll be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. So, if it was done more commonly in the church, people would have relationships where they say, okay, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, we both know it. Neither of us is pretending to be pious. And both of us, we find our identity in the grace that God provides for sinners. We find our relationship with God. That's the overarching, the story of our life is not that we were great, good heroes. The story of God that is that Jesus is the hero and he has done an incredible work. And so even your sinfulness, as it's confessed, becomes something that brings glory to God. Paul said, I am the worst of sinners. If you read the New Testament, you might think Paul's the best of Christians. That's how I would assess his life. Right? Any guy who just gives his life, you know, being stoned to death, uh, or try, attempted stones to death several times, shipwrecked, flogged, uh, imprisoned, uh, going without food, um, all the things that he describes about his life. Anybody who does that so that other people can know this beautiful relationship with Jesus Christ, to me, is an incredible hero. The greatest of all Christians. He said, I'm the worst of sinners. You know what that means? Is it means the farthest you get down this road the less and less you'll think of yourself as the hero of your own story. Paul didn't think he was the hero. He thought, Jesus is the hero of my story. And the more and more praise is going to flow out of you to God. The great thing about confession, when it's done right, is it doesn't leave you thinking about yourself. That's, That's a surprising thing for a lot of people. We often think of confession as like, I say sorry to God, and then I wallow in my guilt for another two weeks until I've sort of atoned for my sins, and then I probably can be in relationship with God again. It's not how it works. At the end of confession should be praise for God, who is a great forgiver. That's how it should go. Even if you're facing something that you say is just ugly and and evil and wrong and and it's in my own heart, the end of confession is praise. Confession, you shouldn't leave with your head hung down. Your head should be up high because 
you're focused not on yourself anymore, but on Jesus. You fixed your eyes on Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of your faith. He started it and he finished it. So we're meant to align ourselves with God and link our arms with fellow believers. Here's, if you're aligned with God and you're linked up with fellow believers who know they're sinners and are confessing their sins, you are a force to be reckoned with. You have at your disposal the ability to be very powerful in spiritual warfare. But what I see happening in the church, and this is the thing, this is the thing that probably moves me the most, is I don't think we're using what God's given us. Somehow, I think it's North American individualism is a part of it, that we all have to be a hero on our own. It's too bad that we watch so many movies that were just like that, right? I like Lord of the Rings where it's Sam and Frodo together that limp their way to the end. But I think individualism is part of the problem, but I think the other part is um, we do fear to be sinners together. The reality is every sin described in the Bible is probably um, active in the hearts of us as believers. Everything you could find listed in the Bible in, in all of its, you know, ugliness. It's, we find it in our own hearts, in our own lives. And then we feel that we have to hide it. The way I would describe it is like this. Imagine a whole bunch of soldiers lined up in a trench and the enemy is rumbling in with some big Second World War tank. I, I was thinking Second World War. It captured my imagination when I was a kid and I can't stop thinking about it. But So imagine the tank is rumbling in and you have all these soldiers in trenches and they've, over the edge of the trench they pulled up their pellet guns and they're shooting at the tank and just bouncing off the armor, doing nothing. Totally ineffective. I sometimes think the church is like that. Because everyone's just sort of on their own with their own little gun, doing something that won't actually change the game. Meanwhile, in the trench, if you turned around for a second, you'd say, hey, there's, uh, there's all sorts of other weapons back here. Look at a rocket-powered grenade. That's amazing. That would, that would really put a hole in a tank. Oh, Look at, oh, there's artillery. We can hit the tanks from far range, from far away. Wow, that's amazing. And, and over here, there's a radio that you can call for support. That's amazing. It's amazing. Now, the problem is that none of the soldiers ever leave the side of the, the, the pellet guns and, and, and to go back and, and touch on this. You know why? Because every one of these things takes two people to operate. You want to shoot, shoot an RPG into the heart of the enemy? <laughs> you need someone else to steady your aim. You need someone else to stand with you. I'll just, I'll just soldier on alone, ineffectively losing this battle. Artillery, wow! One guy's got to drop, the other guy's got to pull, and oh, it'll take two people. Can't use that either. Guess we're stuck with pellet guns. And this radio to call in for air support, boy, that would be the most effective. No, no, 
Instead of using prayer, I'm just going to use my own willpower. We'll see if that'll be enough. I want to do this independent of God on my own. The tragedy is God has given us everything we need to fight sin and to see healing come into our lives, into the areas of our emotional wounds. But we insist on using the dumbest strategy to fight the enemy. We hide our sin instead of confessing it. We fight alone instead of together. We depend on our own willpower instead of crying out to God in prayer. I'm a little fatigued, or maybe I would say tired, of the enemy just winning in people's lives. Or, here's the other one. For people to live so much of their lives without accessing the, the weapons at their disposal, that it isn't until they're way long into the battle, after the enemy has already stolen, killed, and destroyed in so many areas of their life, that then they say, well, wait, there must be something better. Wouldn't it be great if at the beginning of your life you could understand this dynamic? You could live your life... Uh, in partnership with other believers, you could live as sinners before a holy God who loves you. You confess your sins. You could pray for each other to be healed, for God to do the work. It says, our weapons are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds, but you actually have to use them. Dave Moore, we, he did a great, Pastor Dave Moore, who's our, our small groups pastor, he did an incredible training yesterday for life group leaders. And one of the questions of, yeah, it was great. Everything was great. But the one question I grabbed from it and I said, I need to share this with people, he just asked simply, who's your confession buddy? Who's your confession buddy? He asked us as leaders that. I said, that is so the right question. Who's your confession buddy? Bonhoeffer, quote, let me give you a Bonhoeffer quote, another one. Uh, he says, God has willed that we should seek and find God's living word in the testimony of other Christians in the mouth of human beings. Therefore, Christians need other Christians who speak God's word to them. They need them again and again when they become uncertain and disheartened because living by their own resources, they cannot help themselves without cheating themselves out of the truth. They need other Christians as bearers and proclaimers of the divine word of salvation. They need them solely for the sake of Jesus Christ. Here's the, the kicker. This is, the Christ in their own hearts is weaker than the Christ in the word of other Christians. Their own hearts are uncertain. Those of their brothers and sisters are sure. Let me paraphrase. I've been paraphrasing this quote for months. This is my paraphrase of his assessment. The Jesus inside of me is exactly what you need. And the Jesus inside of you is exactly what I need. And God made it that way. So when we fight on our own, we do not access huge sources of encouragement and faith in our lives. If you're, if you're together in any relationship with another believer of any sort, you are meant to encourage them. They are meant to encourage you. You're meant to be stronger because you're together. Right? A cord of three strands, you, the other person, and God, is not easily broken. 
But God made it that way. So when you make yourself an individual, you just sort of buy into our, you know, this, 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 the water we swim in in our culture. We don't even realize that we, we live so individually. When we live as an individual, we miss out. We don't actually access the power that we have to win. I remember I was at, at Kettleston Camp several years ago, and um, my friend Francis Cleveland had invited me to go down to the dock, and we were going to do devotions together. And I was down at the dock, and I just felt angsty that something wasn't right inside of me, and I, was, and, and, and I said, Francis, i got to go sort this out, just me and God. You know, i got to get away and stuff like that. I went away. And I was like, God, what is it you really want to say to me? I just feel like something's not right in my life spiritually and stuff like that. And you know what God um, made, aware to, made me aware of? It's, I didn't get like some verbal, audible voice, but this is what I became aware of. Basically, Steve, you're too much of an individualist. In fact, you just left Francis on the dock. He invited you to enter into this powerful partnership together, and you walked away from it, and you have always walked away from those. Because somehow you think, well, I just want to do this on my own. I want, to, I want to confess my sins on my own. I don't want anyone else to see inside this internal. What would I... If I had a DeLorean, like one time machine equipped DeLorean, and I could go back in time and visit Saul, King Saul... This is what I would say. I wrote up my conversation with him. I thought, how would I counsel him? I'd say, Saul, you'll have a lot of choices ahead of you. I'd go back in time to the point where he'd just become king. And each one of those decisions will take you closer or farther away from God. And one of those paths will lead you. This is my shock value. This would be my best pastoral shock value you could possibly give Saul. One of those paths will lead you so far from God and his plan for you that you will end up slaughtering 85 innocent priests, their wives, and their children. You'll do it all in a fit of rage. Now, I can imagine Saul would respond and saying, Well, what? I don't know you, but that's not me. I obey my father. I respect the things of God. And I'm a good guy. I could never become like that. And I'll say, yes, that's true about who you are now. But you're going to face hard decisions in the future, and your emotional immaturity will start showing, and you'll be tempted to hide it instead of dealing with it. And if you avoid dealing with it, you'll start down the kind of road that leads to destruction for you and many others. So let's say Saul comes back and says, okay, okay, suppose this is true. What can I do to prevent this from happening? This is what I'd say. Saul, it's not just your emotional issues that will need healing. You'll also be tempted very strongly to sin against God. Even though he made you king over Israel, you'll be tempted to rebel against him. Whenever you're made aware of any sin in your life, my encouragement to you is to confess it. If you do that, it, and, and turn from it. it, it will bring so many benefits to your life if you do that. You'll, it'll keep your pride in check. You'll receive forgiveness from God. It'll limit limit the discipline that God needs to bring into your life to correct you. And it'll bring healing into your life. So let's just say Saul is softening at this point. And he says, okay, how do I confess my sins? I say, well, you can pray and talk directly to God. Or you can write about it, write a psalm. But I encourage you to find a faithful friend. 
a confession buddy who's willing to walk with you through these challenges, and that way you'll stand a much better chance to come out the other side. And here's where Saul would encounter the roadblock that all of us face. Who can a king confide in? It's lonely at the top. Yes, I've hidden stuff along the way, but I've gotten to this place where now I can't get real because I'm in charge. You want me to confess my sins to people who are under me, in my family? Uh, Who do I confess my sins to? This is what I would say. Saul, I don't know who you're supposed to confess your sins to. I, I advise you to pray about it. Maybe God will point you to a particular person. Maybe he'll bring to your mind someone like Samuel. He said he would be committed to praying for you and the nation. Maybe he's a person you could confess your sin to and have him pray for you so that no ungodly influence will cause your life to go the wrong way. See, Saul, when he rebelled against God to gain the approval of people, The old King James Version said it was like the sin of witchcraft. In other words, it opened him up to spiritual forces of evil and uh, manipulation and control in his life that were there to steal and kill and destroy. A rebellion is like that. It opens us up to evil. Even in our relationship with the Lord, it it gets us out of alignment with God. So now, if if even as a Christian, God needs to bring discipline into our lives. Now that's to restore us, but that doesn't mean we always do that. See, Saul left the protection of God. He got out of alignment with with his with with the Lord, and he allowed these things into his life. The simplest way to win a battle is aligning yourself with God by humbly submitting to God and repenting of your sin. And the simplest way to make sure that happens is get a confession buddy. James 4, 6 says, he, God gives us more grace. That's why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. 1 Corinthians 10, 4-5, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Therefore, James 5.16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. In the bench in front of you, there's a little card. Why don't you pull it out? It's just a little bookmark. It's black and got some red writing on it. It says, holy and whole. Do you find it? If you found it, hold it up. Just wave it. Okay. In the next number of weeks, what we're hoping to be able to do is a health check. We're hoping to be able to do a health check. And let me just go through it a little bit for you with some scripture. It says on your card, now is the time for honest and heartfelt evaluation. Right? Let me read you Psalm 139. This talks about that kind of evaluation. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, David wrote this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. 
Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You want to start a health check? Pray this verse to God. It's a great way to begin. Search me, God. Right? Sometimes when we do our own introspection, it's not as, as um, clear. But allowing God to do that inspection in our lives is, is, is huge. So an honest and heartfelt evaluation of what I need to add and what I need to lose. Let me give you another verse that helps flesh that out. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. It says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off or lose your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitudes of your minds and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So as you do an evaluation, as you allow the Lord to evaluate your life, you're probably going to encounter two very distinct things, things that you need to lose. They're not helpful. They are hindering you. They're not beneficial. And that's not the end of the game, though. It's not just weeding out things that are not, shouldn't be in our lives, but to add the things that should be in our lives, right? So I say, well, okay, my, my approval addiction needs to be dealt with because, you know, I mentioned that quite a bit. My approval addiction needs to be dealt with. So yes, lose the approval addiction, easier said than done, but begin that journey, ask God about it, begin to memorize scriptures that, that relate to that. But add a whole new habit of gratitude and praise to God. So there's things that you'll need to add, and there's things, or things you'll need to lose, things you'll need to add. Okay? So you're putting off things that were corrupted by deceitful desires, and you're putting on things that are like God in his true righteousness and holiness. Thoughts I need to take captive. Okay? 2 Corinthians 4, 5 says that. It says, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So there's some thoughts that you ruminate on or that I ruminate on or that I think about myself or think about God that aren't accurate, they aren't God's truth. And so they're creating uh, harm in our lives. So we need to take those captive. And uh, so it's like you say, oh, I'm thinking that thought again, but I know that's not the truth. I keep going back to it like it's a default setting. I take that captive, I'm going to reject that. And instead, replace it with truth I need to meditate on. Right? Jesus said, they'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And in Romans 12, too, Paul said, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, in order to renew your mind, again, there's the add and the lose of maybe things in your life's habits or, or practices, but when it comes to your thinking, there's also an add and the lose, right? A put off, put on. Basically taking those things that you've been thinking, that you repeat to yourself, that you believed about yourself. Uh, ask the Lord to do an inspection. Show me those things, Lord. Show me what you reveal, what you want me to deal with. And, of course, we know he helps us deal. Then it says, help I need to seek and the healing I need to receive. James 5, 16. Confess your sins to one another. So, one of the, probably the biggest application of what I'm saying this morning is you need to actually pray about who. Pray about who. Pray really open-ended prayer because you might be thinking of someone your same age and it might be someone older or it might, you might be thinking of someone who um, 
you know, you see week to week, but it might be someone who lives in another province you see every few months. I don't know what it is. But pray and, and be open-ended to whatever the answer is that God would give. Who, whose help do I need to seek in order to win this battle? And finally, the healing you need to receive, right? We confess our sins to another, and we pray for each other, right? So not just that um, we would have God's forgiveness, but that sin's power would diminish in our lives and that sin would not be our master, but Jesus would be our master. This week in our staff meeting, if you want to kickstart the process, I'll just give you one more little addition. This week in our staff meeting, we uh, took the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Assessment. You can look that up online if you want. Just Google it, you'll find it. The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Assessment. And uh, it was a, you know, a bunch of questions, you know, maybe 40 questions about our lives. And we got everyone to do it on, on their little laptops. And then when they were done, uh, we said, everything where you recognize that you, you, you could answer like, you know, I'm doing well or not so well or really bad. Anything you got to the point where you answered and you realized that was a really sort of not so good or pretty bad, just record that and uh, we'll, we'll only deal with maybe one of them or something like that. But I said... And then if there's any scriptures, because there are scriptures attached to some of these, go read those scriptures. So it's like we assessed ourselves. And boy, it was funny. Because people are, are going through this online assessment and they're reading. They're like, am I like this? And you heard people like audibly groan in the room. It's like, oh. And then some people laugh. They're like, ha, ha, like, you know, laughing because, man, they totally got me pegged, right? That exactly is me. Like, I, yeah, wow. And, uh, and then it was like, it wasn't like a hopeless scenario. It wasn't like a gloomy scenario, but it was like, wow, this is amazing. And then when we got done, um, we, people were looking up the scriptures that tied into, you know, the things where they needed to see God do transformation in their lives. And then we said, now, partner up with a confession buddy. Go off. Tell people about your inner life. Not a whole bunch of people. Tell one person about your inner life. And then pray for each other that you'll be healed like James 5 tells us to do. That's what we did on Tuesday. Um, as it was happening, I thought, what if the whole church, what if the whole church knew how to do this? What if the whole church trusted other Christians? What if the whole church wasn't just lined up in a row shooting pellet guns at tanks, but actually turned around and said, we have weapons and God has given them to us and we are going to use them. That's a church that would prevail. That's a church that would overcome. That's a church that would turn the tide. And we'd see battles won. Let's stand with me today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we praise you that you are the prime actor in this entire spiritual battle we've been talking about this morning. And you are the one we look to most of all. Like you've, won the, you've won the greatest battle. You won the battle on Calvary where you went to, to the cross for us. And even though the enemy tried to stop you, <laughs> tried to stop you from being born, tried to stop, or from coming into the world, he's tried to stop you, make you compromise, tried to get you to worship him, tried to get you to come off the cross used every trick in the book, every strategy and scheme to stop you from being uh, 
the one who would take our sins upon yourself. You embraced the Father's plan. You embraced everything he laid out for you, and you won that war. And now as your followers, you're calling us to win. You're calling us to engage the enemy and fight with the powerful weapons you've given us. And I thank you, you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. You've given us everything we need to fight these battles. Thank you that you've given us each other. Thank you that you've given us each other. And Lord, let it not be said of this church that we're pious and not in touch with the sinfulness, the true condition of our hearts. Let us not be people who are calling other people to repent, but we don't repent. Let us not be people who look in judgment at other people about their sin and don't do anything about the sin in our own hearts. God, help us to see ourselves through the lens of the gospel. Lord, I thank you that I was dead in my sins and you found me and you brought me to life in you. I thank you that I was totally incapable of doing anything about that, but you were completely capable. And Lord, I ask that you bring us to life in you. Not some sort of stained glass picture of holiness, but a real window into people's lives where we can see the work that you're doing. Would you transform us from the inside out? And would you give us courage? Would you give us courage to initiate the first baby steps of conversations with other people saying, hey, uh, would you be willing to listen? Would you be willing to pray for me? I got some stuff I need to unload. So have your way. Lead us into battle, Lord. You're a great commander. There's nothing that can stand in your way. When we're aligned with you and we're living as you want us to, linking arms with our brothers and sisters, uh, the battle is ours. So Lord, I pray you'd lead us. Thank you that you do. In your name, amen. I think we're going to officially dismiss, even though our worship team's going to stay and, and have one more song for us, but we're going to officially dismiss at this point. Thank you for coming. If you want someone to pray with you this morning, our prayer teams, like they get up in the morning just giddy to do that with people. Pastors too. We love praying with people. So if you want to pray this morning, just come on. There's people on either side and up front. And uh, especially if you just really feel like God's doing some business in your life, then, uh, then come and, and share that with someone, and we'd love to be part of that with you. So you're officially dismissed. The worship team's going to lead us. Have an incredible week.